Welcome to the Dollar Auction Podcast, episode one with the new name, formerly known as the Hardcore Finance Podcast. So, Dollar Auction, Shimon, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm not playing in any, uh, not participating in any dollar auctions uh, this week, which makes me feel fantastic. Yeah, we went over why we're calling it a dollar auction, right? Yes, we did. This is, it's a terrible it's thing, just, guys. Never participate in a dollar auction. It is a genius. You buy a dollar for $100 and lose 99 Beautiful. So let's jump in. We have a lot to talk about today. We have a great guest, David Rickner, uh, coming up after we do the news and analysis of the markets. And he's going to talk about real estate with us. But before we welcome David to the show... Let's just talk about pr the price action and the news. So what do you have for us, Shimon? Well, I mean, there's a lot of regulation uh, coming our way. Um, I saw that Kraken, one of the major crypto exchanges, got sued by the SEC for the Earn uh, product that they offered. Uh, the, the, C, the chairman of the board, Jesse Powell, snarkily basically answered and said, oh, if I would just have told people, you know, how their funds are going, are being used, I wouldn't have to pay this fine. But uh, yeah, we just basically see that because of the FTX uh, drama, uh, you know, regulators getting more and more, uh, you know, scrutinizing, if you can use that term. Uh, scrutinizing yeah. is a good term. Scrutinizing is a great term. But uh, no, I think that overall it will be good for the industry because uh, I heard a Michael Saylor talk and he said, look, regardless of what the SEC decides, it will be better than being in limbo. Uh, and, and so I, I, we can put a link to that um, clip. But I thought that's a very good point, which is, <laughs> you know, they're not going to ban Bitcoin uh, in the U.S. We've discussed this uh, on the show many times before. Uh, why we don't think that they would ban Bitcoin. So if they don't buy ban Bitcoin, um, you know, he went through several scenarios of like saying that like you can have currencies which are stable coins and this is how you apply for a currency license. You can have securities uh, and this is how you register a security. So like any guidance that they give will put the market in a better place. Uh, according to him, a lot of institutional money is just sitting on the sidelines, just waiting, waiting for regulation. Yeah, so I, I think that's right. And, and look, I, you know, I'm a big uh, digital assets, crypto, Bitcoin, specifically bull crypto assets as well. The fact that he says, Gensler says, go, just come to the SEC and register is a bit bullshit because it's hard to register. People have tried and there are many Twitter threads about they're saying, hey, we, we're trying, but you're just saying, no, 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 no. So it's like, it's all nice that you're in front of Elizabeth Warren whatever you're going out and saying these things, but then coming back and it's hard to do. However, in some of the lawsuits that we've seen, he has a point. Um, you know, if you're money managing, if you're offering a different yield, then it's promised in DeFi protocols. It could technically be argued as a money market fund. Um, same thing with when they went after Paxos and, and Binance US dollar. The point, from what I understand, and we'll see when the case actually comes out, two points. One is that it's, it wasn't fully reserved, though it's one. And two, that once they issued, Paxos issued BUSD, Binance wrapped it and put it onto other bridges to other chains, then that becomes potentially, according to the, you know, to the regulators, a security. So it's not, a, it's not like a clean-cut stablecoin. They're not going after Circle and USDC, right? But then again... 
circle what's audited by Deloitte, you know, BNY Mellon is the custodian, BlackRock is an investor. I mean, these are serious people with serious, you know, backers behind them. They're not messing around. So while we can yell at Gensler about some of the things that he's putting out there, uh, and there does seem to be a coordinated or at least a, you know, conspicuously coincidental Conspicuously coincidental, it's a nice phrase, attack on crypto from a lot of regulators, the OCC, Office of the Comptroller of Currency, FDIC. Why do you say uh, conspicuously? It's not conspicuous at all. <laughs> I would be surprised if they didn't do it. Conspicuously, <laughs> yeah. Conspicuously uh, coincidental. <clears throat> inconspicuously coincidental. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, they're coming, they're coming after after crypto and Look, you're right. You made the statement many times before Sailor. It's Shimon before Sailor. That's what I say. Who you said, hey, when there is when 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 there is regulation, the market likes certainty more than uncertainty. So even if the certainty is bad, at least there's certainty and at least there's more information with which the market can you know digest, which the market can digest and with which it can proceed. And so you know, it's going to be tough. But at the end of the day, I'm not worried for Bitcoin at all. I'm not really worried for Ethereum. Some of the other guys might be harder. The, the long tail of crypto assets, it's going to be tough. It's going to be yeah. tough. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but, you know, in other news, just the economy overall seems to be picking up a little bit. And when I say the economy, I mean the stock market, because, like, we know that the stock market prices in, um, you know, recessions, uh, way ahead of time and then you know it usually bottoms you know nine months to 12 months before the actual economy bottoms uh but it's interesting uh so you know bitcoin price is back up to good levels the stock market is kind of recovering back to the trend line so i wanted to ask you uh alex what do you think in terms of the kind of next six months are we going to go up are we going to go sideways to the moon uh, we're gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be choppy. I think. Look, the nice part is that there are bad. There are a lot of bad news that come out against you know crypto regulation. So when Bitcoin isn't moving, not only is it not moving, it's actually increasing, which mm-hmm. tells me that only the hodlers are left. Uh, Dan Moorhead, who's the CEO of Pantera Capital, one of the major capital uh, VC shops in the space, came out and said, "Look, the bear market is over. We're starting the new bull market." Um, and they, according to them, it's it's you know we might be. It doesn't mean we're gonna go up right away, up into the right. And it could be choppy for some time, but at least the worst, the worst has kind of passed. Um, and we, and again, we can see that from the price action, right? Like sellers aren't really aren't really selling. I think the other bullish thing that came out was yesterday overnight, uh, the the Celsius. Uh, it's like the creditor committee accepted the plan from Celsius. Now the story there is that <clears throat> Celsius won the first. Uh, firms to go under. Uh, they were uh, Celsius, one of the first firms to go under. The seven months they've been uh, going on and on about a plan, um, of what to do with this, with the plan to uh, to basically go through bankruptcy. And there was a period of time they were supposed to present a plan by the fifteenth, which is today. Nothing was being presented. They were being lawyers' money, and basically a bunch of states sued them and said, "If you don't present a plan, we're just going to liquidate the crypto." And give people all the money back. 
And that would be bad because they hold a lot of Bitcoin, they hold a lot of ETH. It would have been a just market sell of a whole bunch of crypto, which is no longer going to be the case. They accepted, uh, it's called Neil Wolf or something. It's a new company that was founded by four or five folks that uh, ran uh, marathons. Some, some people ran marathons, mining operations. Um, and actually, so they're going to tokenize the new company's equity into tokens on the provenance blockchain, which is a new blockchain. The token is called Hash. OKCoin actually had them listed. Uh, until we didn't. Uh, the more the, there's no more to that story, but we should keep it off this podcast. Um, but uh, I'm a fan. Uh, they're they're very good people, and so um, uh, the four the people sit on the board, a former CEO of Coinbase. Uh, so they're solid, solid uh, chain, and interesting to see they're going to tokenize equity. So that's bullish. I, I'm pretty bullish on. It. I think we really have got the the worst. Uh, the worst is behind us. Yeah, what do you think? How, no, I, I agree. I mostly think that this is kind of a repeat of 2018. Uh, back then, also, you know, the Fed was raising interest rates. I, I just think people underestimate the productivity gains. Um, you know, we, we spoke about Chat GPT, but even like, you know, what Putin tried to do to Europe, like, just like he completely underestimated how quickly they can reorganize themselves in terms of energy. And so I just think that, like, when there's panic, yeah, markets fall and everything. But like, I think people really underestimate uh, the growth that can come. And yeah. uh, I'm I'm pretty happy about the Republicans. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I've been interacting with several um, people on the um, you know blockchain caucus, but also like I just saw Nikki Haley, who's rin- running for president. I don't know if she'll make it, but she literally said now. The, the solution for climate change is sequestering carbon, which is amazing because I've never heard someone running for president. Like I've heard this in academic circles. Um, you know, I think OpenAI or, or Y Combinator had like a huge grant to figure out like, can we sequester carbon? But like all this talk about like nuclear uh, is a cheap source of energy and like sequestering carbon is... Um, solution for climate change so i'm just like optimistic about humanity in general these days uh, clearly it's it's really hard uh what's still going on in the war uh in ukraine but i mean it's just one conflict you know when you look at global uh, the global economy um you know i'm pretty optimistic these days i have, I have another piece of news and i know you want to talk about chad gpt but i do want to show you something and while i'm showing it speaking of conflict and you know global conflict um the U.S. shot down one balloon and three UFOs recently, uh, which, you know, some people are saying, NORAD in general saying, oh, n- we cannot rule out that it isn't aliens. <laughs> the Department of Defense is like, no, it definitely isn't aliens. They still haven't found the wreckage. But Fox News and in their infinite wisdom recently did a poll, uh, and hopefully you can see this. <laughs> so the greatest threat to world peace, it's like Xi Jinping, 7%, Putin, 8%. Ali uh, Khamenei, 8%. Kim Jong-un, 17 The red balloon, baby, takes the cake with 41%. But what is this that is... red balloon? I thought the balloons were white. They are white, but this is the, I mean, they're, they're, they're making fun of the I'm just thing. trying to bust your uh, Boss idea. my chops. Uh, no, Boss but, but uh, so I, I just like, uh, we spoke about this a couple of days ago, uh, and I am completely bought in to my beautiful wife, uh, Kate's narrative, which is they're just using it to distract us from something else. And it's like, it's happened before. That's the one thing when you and I spoke about it, 
were like, oh my God, four objects and stuff like that. We literally looked it up many times in the past. They've shot down stuff from the sky. They said we can't rule the, the, you know, the fact that it's a UFO. So I'm just like refusing to give any of my mental energy uh, to oh. red or white or blue or oh, any color. You know so, who can give this balloon some more mental energy, which is free? ChatGPT. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, a couple of interesting things. First of all, I heard on the All In podcast uh, that basically the, the technology is just getting started because they trained it on, on just like a corpus of, of words, right? But now as more and more people use it, that's how the step function will happen. So what we're currently <laughs> seeing is not even close to even scratching the surface because like, as you and I know, artificial intelligence, there's, there's no magic about it. It's just like going over data and finding more and more connections between data. So for example, they mentioned uh, that there's like an Excel plugin that's based on chat GPT. You can open one of these like huge sheets uh, that have like 12 tabs. A spread sheet? A spreadsheet, yeah. Uh, and basically, th this plugin does something that is actually hard to do, which is like it tells you, this is what the model is about. These are the inputs. These are the outputs. This, These are the sensitivity conditions, like in plain language. And so you and I have built many of these models. You know, it's trivial for the person who built the model to explain this to you. But if you just get it by email, you'll probably need a call with the person who built the model, you know, and then they would have to explain these things for you. That's it. Saved you the call. So it's it's pretty amazing that it, it actually can make people much more productive. There was another demo. You can post the link to it. It's just like literally people took a data set and they just said, okay, can you please create an HTML file that visualizes this data set? And also tell us what are the main insights. And it's amazing. It's like suddenly a, a web page that you can publish that has like beautiful graphs. And you don't like think of how much time. I mean, I've spent so much time in my life just fine tuning the, <clears throat> the axes, the colors, the, you know, just like to build the graph in the right way. Like I have it in my mind, but just to put it, it's so, so much work. So all of that, I think, is not priced in yet. I really, I really don't think, especially because it launched in really bad economic conditions with the war, with the inflation, with post-COVID, all of these things. Just think of what it will do for like drug, de drug development. Like there's just so many things. Even like we have a friend whose whole job, he works for a consulting company. His whole job is to take uh, reports about uh, traffic accidents in Maryland and just feed them into the database of the <clears throat> investigators or whatever. Uh, it, it, so he doesn't feed it. He basically builds the software that like takes the, the reports written. All of that is going away. And then those people. Yeah, it's like chat GPT, pull in the data, done. Yeah, exactly. It's like, here's some PDFs, right? Just feed them into the system. It can totally do that. Yeah. No, this is, it's, it's huge. I was thinking of our previous life as consultants, all the changing of the colors and the charts or whatever, all that we would, we, instead of 80 hours a week, we would now work 20 hours a week, 20 hours of thinking, 60 hours of editing colors. That's, that's no, McKinsey we, for you. We would still be working 80 hours per week. They would just give us five projects instead of one project. <laughs> Actually, but that's true. But that's true. You know, we joke, but this is the productivity increase. That's the whole yeah. point. It does it all for you. You just have to think. And instead of just doing stupid stuff of changing colors, you're thinking. 
Anyway, um, lots of good stuff. We should do a whole episode on ChatGPT, uh, but I know our guest is about to come on the show. So we let's do a pause here, and we're going to welcome David in a second, and we're going to have a good interview about real estate. And next one, ChatGPT. Sounds good. All right. So our guest today is David Richter from the Profit First Real Estate Podcast and Fractional CFO. So David talks a lot to his audience about mainstream, uh, Main Street audience, excuse me, about being intentional with profits, uh, thinking about real estate and other investments, thinking about being profit first and profit driven versus call it, you know, growing through hyperscale. Um, and then there's this whole interesting part of this whole fractional CFO aspect to it, which I would love to learn a little bit more about. So David, you know, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I, when uh, I know this is your audience, and when I had these guys on on my podcast, they delivered a ton of value. So you guys are lucky to get to listen to them if you're listening to this podcast right now. Uh, if they deliver even more than what they already did on mine, this is incredible stuff. But as far as my background goes, I was in real estate for the last ten years. Have been a part of about 850 deals, which means in the you know, wholesaling houses, so buying it, getting it under contract, selling it, or flipping like you see on the TV shows, which it's not all like the TV shows, uh, rental investing, a lot of the things with the single family world. So that's where I've been playing in for the last 10 years and then saw a huge need on that side where a lot of people are going and getting the deals under contract, making the money, then have no idea where it goes. Where the heck did all my money go? You know, like I just made $50,000 on this property. Where did it all go? You know, and it's like they have no idea. You know, it's like through the payroll and through the marketing and just all the expenses that keep piling up. And then they're buying new properties or they're buying this or that, the other thing. And they're wondering where their money's going. So that's where the fractional CFO business came into play. Because even when we were doing 25 deals a month at one point, we were like spending 26 deals worth out the door. So it's like I saw this firsthand as well. So just wanted to help. The, you know, the community, especially that Main Street community, get out of the rat race of just especially if they've already done the hard work and started their own business, like make it feel like it's worth it as well, too. So that's really what we're trying to accomplish with the fractional CFO business and give people hope on that side. So that's just a little bit about me and very quick overview of my background. Awesome. For the last um, so 10, we've 10 had some now. real estate uh, guests uh, on our show previously, but I would love to hear uh, we haven't had it. Um, we haven't spoken about the topic too much in the last year and things have really changed over the last year. So what would you say is the current environment of real estate investing? And what do you think kind of is maybe uh, a big mistake that many people make when they approach real estate as an investment rather than just like buying a house to live in? Sure. So, I get to go to a lot of different events, real estate events. So I get to hear from kind of the whole market because real estate is very local because, you know, some markets are just wildly different than others. Go figure, right? You know, the Midwest is a little bit different than, you know, Las Vegas and Los Angeles and, like you know, some of those bigger cities out there. So that's where I get to see a lot of those different types of markets. And in some markets, no, in all markets, I would say, in November, December 2022, we're feeling – you know, down 
they were feeling a recession, the real estate world in general. I think a lot of people had slowed down. This was different than the typical end of the year. It's Christmas time, all you know, and it's holiday, this, that, the other thing, everyone's shutting off. A lot of people had flips that would have sold for like in two days, you know, were sitting on the market, stayed on the market through the end of December, you know, and from November. So a lot of people and their leads dried up too. Because if you're in the small business world, that's how you eat is like making sure that leads keep coming in the door, that you're still able to get properties under contract and that a lot of that had dried up. And a lot of it was the sellers of the properties hadn't caught up to where the market really was. Where a real estate investor, you know if the market changes almost immediately, especially if you're very into it and you, this is what you're doing full time. Like You know that the interest rates going up is also going to slow people down from buying the house or selling their house. And you know now the, the values are going to start coming down. Well, that doesn't translate. The sellers are usually six to 12 months behind. And so you know, like in November, the, the sellers were thinking they could still get the prices back from you know, January, February, March, or even 2021 prices. Like, hey, that one sold for like, you know, 500,000 over there. Well, and their house is only worth 400,000 now, you know, like because of where interest rates are and the value of their house. So the sellers hadn't caught up to the reality of what their properties were actually worth. You know, and a lot of these that they buy are fixer uppers. So it's like, they don't know how, seller doesn't know how to equate that. So I think that there was a big catch up game in the quarter three and quarter four of 2022 and I I just went to a couple events in the last month and a lot of people are seeing that the sellers are finally catching up and that they're they're understanding their house isn't worth as much now that the interest rates are you know increasing in that in these different areas that they're not selling for as much they're able to actually go in there and say okay this is what the house is worth and the sellers are more agreeable to that now and now they're getting you know they're the real estate market as far as the investing market goes it's kind of like overlapping now where they're in agreement. So I see that in a couple different markets. There's also some very hot markets still where I just went to an event last month and there was a couple people in Texas, like Dallas area where they were putting a property on the market and then it's gone the next day. So there's still some areas of the country where if you have a very desirable house that it's still going to fly off the shelf as well too. So that's just some of the things that I've heard of the rumblings, being able to have access to people of all from Florida up to all the way up into Washington state, you know, it's like we have, we either work with people in those areas or I get to be in groups that encompass a lot of the real estate investing side. So that's been interesting. You said that, I know that was a long answer for number one, but real estate is very local. So it's like being able to cover the whole country there in like two minutes. Then the other one was uh, mistakes real estate investors make. And oh man, I can, I can park here for a while. So you're going to have to cut me off at some point, probably. Because not that they make a lot of mistakes, but the ones that they make can kill them, can literally take them down when I, you know, especially on the financial side, because number one, a lot of people just don't, they don't look at the financial side at all in a small business. They're like, because at the beginning you have to have revenue, you have to have revenue to drive the business. Like they're literally killing to eat at that point. And so they have to drive revenue, but they're not looking at the financial side. And then whenever they do, it's scary because it's not revenue generating. It's not something they're usually interested in. A lot of people that are just the same, they start a business are more sales oriented than they are financial in numbers. So it's like, oh, here, here's, here's my shoebox full of receipts accountant. Can you just take care of this at the end of the year? So it's like just abdicating and walking away from the numbers. Probably one of the biggest things, because then you don't know where you are. I can, I have, I have lots of mistakes. I'll just touch on two more real quick. 
The other one that they make is that they don't build their business around them. They don't build the business around who they are, their situation, what is their family unit, what do they need to make on a monthly basis. They are always going off of the shiny object syndrome of, oh, they're doing a million dollars, I need to be doing a million dollars. Or they're making, they're doing 10 deals a month, I need to be doing 10 deals a month. It's always looking at what someone else is doing versus this is what I need, this is what I want to build my business around, this is how much we need to bring in, this is the team that I want, you know, being very intentional. So making sure that they're being very intentional with their life and their business. Third thing that I would say too, they have one big bank account where all the money goes in, all the money goes out, and that is literally how most small mainstream entrepreneurs handle their finances. They have one big bank account, all the money goes in and out of, and they're like, where the heck is all my money? Because they don't want to dive into a financial software, which I totally understand. And then you've also got the other side of like, but they want to be able to know, is this money mine? Is this, am I able to spend it on this marketing campaign? Am I able to spend it on a new hire? You know, not having that clarity. So that's really how they're running the business, that one bank account. And then they have no idea what's going on. They have no clarity around every dollar in their business. So those are some of the mistakes I see as well. So hopefully that covered both questions for you from uh, the real estate market and then some of the mistakes I see in the real estate world. Yeah, I, I love this. Uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, mixing money and, and, um, and commingling it. What's underneath all that is this aspect of I'm uncomfortable with something. So I'm mm. going to ignore it or yes. look at it later. And all of us have it, right? Like, look, all of us, no matter what, in any you, the highest professional in any sport or any area of expertise has this. It's it's not pleasant. It's easier to default to the things you're good at than working on the things that you're not. So um, I know in, in, on your show, we talked a lot about intentionality. Specifically for this, how do you get people to, it's probably less real estate and more psychology, by the way, but how do you get people to overcome this aspect of, uh, you know, I don't want to look at it because it's kind of big and scary or it's not right. my expertise. Uh, so I'll just do it later. So another thing that doesn't help just, I would say in small business in general, but especially the real estate world, most people have horrible interactions with bookkeepers and CPAs and accountants. Either they're talking down to them or talking over their head. You know, like either they know I'm smarter than you and I'm going to, you're going to go on wait until I'm ready, you know, and then they're going to like have those interactions or the bookkeeper is just like, okay, let me, let me do your books. I did it the best I know how, but I didn't ask you for any input and here it is. And they have no idea if it's a mess or not. You know, it's like they, so the, I've seen the wide gamut there. So that's why most people usually are also scared of the finance because they also don't know how to hold those people accountable. They don't know. Like, is this normal? Like for my accountant to do this or like the bookkeeping? I have no idea. Yeah, they put the stuff in there. I have no idea if it's in the right place. So that's where, honestly, why I even created the company that I have. Simple CFO, like a fractional CFO for, to be a financial leader on the team, to kind of take that worry and stress off of the owner's plate mm -hmm. and, you know, off of their shoulders because a lot of people don't know. They don't know what to say or what to ask the bookkeeper or what, what should I even be looking at to grow my business? You know, like, should I look, you know, and how do I do a, a financial model or how do I project? How do I do cash projections in my business? A lot of people have never, it's just on the personal finance side. You can listen. A lot of people follow the, the big gurus, right? Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, you know, like a lot of the people that tout their expertise, a lot of people also haven't read any of their books, 
haven't gone down that path because that's not Main Street knowledge in the schools. That's not taught to us at an early age anywhere. It's just basic financial literacy. So if you get none of that, okay, let's just say you've avoided that your whole life. You get into the business world, and then you're magically supposed to be able to run the finances better than your home finances, which are probably a mess at that point. You know, It's like that's where a lot of people, they don't feel comfortable and confident with money at home. And then they start a business and then they're just like, if I make enough, if I do enough deals or if I close enough sales, if I have enough revenue coming in, it'll just solve everything. More money will solve my problems. Where in the past, they've gotten raises at jobs or whatever and more money meant more debt or more money meant more problems to them. And it's like, well, that's not going to happen if you're making a million a year, but you're spending 1.1 because we never got financial literacy under control and how to actually manage the dollars coming into the business. That's honestly why I started Simple CFO, to be kind of that go-between and to be able to say, you know, I want you to have a bookkeeper. I want you to have a CPA, but you need to talk to someone about how do we have financial literacy? How do we set up the just financial foundation of our business so we don't go out of business and we know where every dollar is going? So that's kind of the one of the pieces. The other piece is that I use inside of our business is profit first and like what we talk about on our show, which is a cash flow system for entrepreneurs that go into the real estate world or any type of, honestly, that it works, the principles work for any type of business. But it's literally giving every dollar a name. I know we talked about intentionality a lot when you came on our show and we've talked about it here too, but it is. It's being very intentional with every dollar that comes in and giving every dollar a name in your business. And so just like Dave Ramsey has his envelope method, you know, for your personal finances, this is kind of like that, but with bank accounts setting up literally different bank accounts, naming them specific names to say, this is profit, or this is what I'm paying myself. This is to pay the expenses and to grow the business. It's like giving those dollars a name and knowing a dollar comes in. This is where I put it to make sure we can keep the business going, that I'm healthy, that I can know if, if something bad happens, you know, that I'm going to be able to have yellow lights instead of red lights, you know, and being able to have those, those processes in place. So those are a couple of the things that we implement and what I even saw as honestly an opportunity to help people like in that space be able to be like okay you don't know where the money's going you're having trouble here well you're gonna have to get educated like you said a lot of what we deal with is like even psychology of like how do you feel about money how, how did your parents talk to you about money you know like do you have some of these things that we actually have to work through like you don't think you deserve it you don't think that you're worthy of it or is it the flip side? You can get anything you want at any time because it's within arm's reach and then you just always go for it. So it's like just being able to play that game as well too with them to make sure, okay, we have to maybe work on some other things too in addition to just giving you a good system that will yeah, help you with the finances. Is a, a really interesting point. Uh, Alex and I have spoken uh, several times on the show where, you know, both of our parents, um, you know, uh, by chance, uh, our mothers are doctors, our fathers are engineers. And so the idea was like, just like get a good profession, you know, you'll always have a job, you always have a good salary and that's it. There was not really the concept of like investing um, when I was growing up. But um, I wanted to ask, yeah. so we spoke about uh, successful businesses. So beyond the accounting and all of that, I completely agree that, you know, everything should be accounted for. But maybe we can yeah. talk about, like, what makes a business successful? So what, what um, how do you capture profit? Because, like, you know, we, we went to a really good business school where they basically teach you the efficient markets hypothesis, which basically, if that's correct, you should never be able to outperform the stock market. Because like information is 
uh, available to everybody and everybody knows everything. We know that the real world is not like that. And so we know that, that people make a lot of money, um, <laughs> you know, doing different things. So what have you seen as, um, I don't know, a biz- what makes a business very profitable and very successful beyond like the accounting part? Oh, man. Well, I've got to say number one, yeah, I'm a, I'm a very simple person. So on the bottom shelf here, I would say it's what we talked about. Like, what is success for you? Like, I, I, I don't even like that word. You know, like, it's like, okay, you say what's successful. Do you just, do you want me to answer success is in what most people think of success of like having lots of money in that it's I, like, I would like to the hear business is not dying and it's thriving? Yeah. Well, then if you're, if you're having me... Yeah, if you're having me define it, it's what I talked about, one of the big mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs make, not just real estate investors, but just a lot of business owners that you start the business, but then you get the shiny object of what success is, but you're you're using other people's definition. You need to define what success is for you first. If success to you means that you work a certain amount of hours and you still have time for your family and you still go on vacations and you still do the things that you want to do all the while having a business that actually runs and helps people and does the things that you want it to do. That might be success for you. But what about if you're single, you don't have a family. Is it just making as much as humanly possible and being able to give it back or to be able to just buy all the toys you want? It's like, what is it that you want for out of life? Cause we've got a lot of people we work with, they set up a giving account. Their purpose is to be able to give money and to be able to give. Like we've got one guy who gives to like a, a camp for kids. One guy actually funds orphanages in different countries. It's like their definition of success is, okay, the business is viable, sustainable, profitable, but then we're using a portion of that profits for the owner's higher purpose. Like for them, they think that, hey, I want to use this profit to be able to do something that matters to me. So I think that's where a lot of people get trapped up. They think that success is this nebulous thing that has to be far off versus, no, what does success look like for us today while we're starting this business, while we're in year one, year two? It might not be that you're making a million dollars a month net, you know, like in year one, two, three, or four, or five. It could be that, hey, we made this much and we gave this much. We did what we could at this point. But we also were able to pay ourselves. We are also able to pay our people. We are also able to help the whatever product or service it is that we provide, able to help the people there too. So I think success, if you had to boil it down to, is number one, defining it for you and your business. And then number two, building the business around that, making that that North Star for your business. Like, no, I know I need at least $10,000 every month to sustain my personal expenses. So I need to get to that number as soon as possible or my wife or husband or like significant other is going to be hounding me every single day. So it's like defining that for yourself and then aggressively attacking that. Then I know you said not the accounting and finance side, but then putting a system in place to be able that that makes you focus on it. Because if you're going to go out there and put your name on the line and go out there, make the sales and make it rain and make the money flow in, have a system to catch it that lines up yeah, with what, what I, your definition of success is. Yeah, I, what so I that really way you can fulfill answer, your purpose. Alex, we don't talk about this enough, I think, on the podcast, which is like success is not just money. Like both you and I have met so many people that are making a lot of money and are miserable. Uh, and so I love the idea that giving to orphanages could be like your definition of success. I really like that. 
Uh, my definition of success, for example, is when I can swim like Scooch McDuck in a pool full of golden <laughs> coins, spitting them out uh, of my mouth. I do love Scooch no, but this McDuck. Is, <laughs> just dive, just dive right, in with yes. the little, what were the, the nephews? The Huey, the Dewey, and Louie. Yeah. Yes. yes. There oh, we yeah. go. I love it. Huey, Dewey, Louie. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> no, but but it's a, this is a great, jokes aside, this is a great point. Um and I, I think it takes, you know, it's it's hard. It's, you know, I, I'm a fairly competitive person. It's hard for me to step back. And she, you know, when then our uh, show, Shimon does a good job of this, of pulling me back and saying, hey, let's look at this from a different angle. You know, we both have a roof over our heads. We both are not starving. You know, we both have healthy kids. And so that, you know, intentionality, that that the change in, in, in perspective, I think helps. And, and oftentimes... You know, we're in our day-to-day grind and, and, you know, things come up and some things annoy you and some things don't. And, um, and you, and you, it's easy to look, especially with Facebook and social media, all oh, the yeah. vacation these guys are having yep. and they're traveling a private plane, but that might not be for you. And, and coming up to this area of Zen where you're okay with who you are is important. It's hard. And by the way, I'm, I'm preaching this and I'm not there to be fully fair, right? To be yeah. kind of open and on air. I'm not there. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's really, really hard yeah. to do. It is. But then once you reach that place, it's a lot easier to feel successful as well. I was literally on a call with a guy two weeks ago and he had the best year of his life so far. This guy's 25 years old, just did $500,000 in like 2022 and felt like a failure. Even though he had, he even made 300K net. He made 300K net too. <laughs> He's like, I at 22, at 25. At 25. And like, this was his first full official year in business. The year before that, he did like 160,000 in real estate as like part time. Then he did 500,000 when it was his full time, but felt unsuccessful because he went to a mastermind event where a lot of other successful people were and they were doing like a million dollars, $2 million a year. And he felt inferior. And I'm like, my God, like if you would just wake up and ask another 20, a random 25 year old on the street, what they did last year, you know, it's like not just money wise, but just being able to do what he did as well too, to travel, to be able to do all the things that 2022 made up for him. I'm like, man, we got to really work on this first because you, you can accept that you were successful for 2022, but we, I can say that, but you have to accept it. So it's like that's where we that's, see a lot yeah. of people in this oh, space. I, I, yeah, go for it. A, the, I was going to say just, just, just one quick thing, Shimon. Just, uh, Shimon and I used to work at, at the Boston Consulting Group, and it's men, it's a management consulting company. Um, and we had this offsite between one of the years of this leadership offsite. And we had this, they brought in the Stanford professor to, to come talk. And he looked like the dude from the Big Lebowski. Nice. He, we're all like, <laughs> you know, this is like one of the most prestigious, arguably like the best management consulting company in the world. And, you know, they, they get all these high power people that are a, you know, everyone is like a, a, a type personality. And this guy rolls in in like sandals and you know like a long beard and he's like yeah bro you know it's totally california dude and he said something very interesting i mean he he asked us to he just said hey show of hands of who thinks honestly they are performing less than average by definition it should be half of the people right Mm -hmm. and in the room i think out of the 40 people 
37 of us raised our hands. Wow. And we're like, we're performing less than average. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and you can see like that. I'm not, this is not to, there's no bagadajo here, but it's just in a high power organization where if you take most of those people in the room and you compare them against, especially the American public, all of them are in the top X percent of their classes, you know? Right. In that room, most by far, like not even a, the most, not like 60%. We're talking about 95, 90, 95% of the people said, we are performing below average. <laughs> and that that yeah. visual was just very stark, right? Yeah, uh, about how you get caught in a rat, in rat race and this FOMO about being better. She no, went, no, I'm sorry, I, uh, I cut you right. off. I wanted to change uh, the topic, but I think this is this is really important. The whole, the whole psychology uh, aspect is important. So I wanted to ask David, what do you think are the most exciting things uh, happening uh, in the world yeah. of real estate investing right now? Like, uh, again, after all the changes uh, that we've seen this year and maybe even outside of uh, real estate, but what's like really exciting to you um, about these days in terms of investing, in terms of technology, what anything's on the table. <laughs> I feel like there's a couple people that I follow on Facebook that are using the chat GT, you know, GPT and then some other services as well too. Like they're just, they're taking it to another level of like how they're incorporating it inside of their business. So I think that's going to, that's exciting to me. Cause I'm like, I see the possibility there, the potential also just for like my daughter's school and stuff. It's like, there's just, I'm excited about where that's heading. Um, and that's where, uh, one of the things, another was, I've got a good friend. I actually, he's now a client of ours as well, but he's, he sold, I think he was either the first or second to sell a house on the blockchain or something like he used, he was able to actually sell real estate, you know, through, um, the blockchain or something like that. It was, and, and I might be saying it wrong, but like he used that type of service and system to be able to sell, um, you know, hit one of his houses. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And because I think they still went through a title company and everything, but like the process for him was a little bit, you know, like it was more streamlined than what they needed to, to get to closing. But then since it was the first one, it just was like a couple more hurdles since it was one of the very first deals to ever go this direction. But I thought that was pretty neat as far as uh, the real estate world, just some of the outside of the box things that I get to see uh, as what we're doing. I think another thing, uh, for the real estate investing world in general is just that I think now we're coming up on another time that's probably going to be a good time for opportunities to come up where a lot of people in the real estate space for the past probably five years, you could have jumped into real estate and made money because you were pro if you bought a house and in like 2020 and 2021 probably then sold it that same year or the next year, you were probably able to get more. Then you got, you know, that you, even if you bought it wrong and didn't have all the formulas and it weren't a business where now it's going to be the ones that are true business owners that are really going to be the ones that, you know, take the next few years and being able to build the systems and create an even better, more streamlined process for that. I was just on another event as well last week where a lot of people that do creative financing in real estate, and that's a whole nother road of like, you know, the seller, you literally, the seller sells it to you, but it's on like, they're the bank. You know, the seller holds the note for you and holds the mortgage and then you, you're paying the seller and they're basically just like a bank. A lot of them have not felt a lot of the dips and stuff because they're making up their own terms. They're making up their own mortgages and own notes and like that type of stuff too. So I see that in the real estate world as another viable option of like, this is going to work in any, any type of environment. So that's just another one where they're still, they're still going strong 
and being able to see those type of people as well too. So there's just some random things that I've seen in the real estate world. And then some of the ones where I see that are successful and keeping successful, they get the mailbox money as well too. Cause like they, they bought it on terms, then they turned around and sold it on terms as well too. So it's like one is paying the other mortgage down and then this one's another mortgage. So it, now it's that actual person's house versus being a rental. So it's just lots of creative things that you can do in real estate, especially during a market downturn that a lot of people might not think is available to them. But honestly, anyone can go out there and do some of these strategies. And I don't even have a course to pitch you, you know, like the different strategies and things to do. But I've seen so many people do it successfully that I know real estate will always be that viable option. So I'm excited about the real estate market, interest rates up or down. You know, it's really, really where can you take real estate and what can you do, especially in your market too? Because like I was saying, some markets are still, you put the house on the market the next day it sells. There are some though that the house goes on the market now and it is sitting for two, three weeks, four weeks, a month, two months, three months, or before it wasn't sitting for that long. So you have to be able to look at that and say, okay, is this just this property or is this now where my market is with you know real estate? So being able to actually do that as well too. So there's a couple things cool in the real estate world and then just some observations as well too. I, I love it. So, uh, David, we have a few minutes left. How can people find you? Can you tell yeah, us a Alex, little bit I think more you're about muted. your podcast? I can't hear Alex. Uh, can you hear get in Alex? Touch? I just want, I wondered if it was good me. for, uh, to be on, off mute to be go. able to tell you these <laughs> things, uh, with only a few minutes left, um, David, how can people find you sure. learn more about real estate? Uh, listen, tune into your podcast. Yeah. One-stop shop at simplecfo.com, simplecfo, like simple chief financial officer.com. That's where you can find the Profit First REI podcast. If you're interested in real estate or how to make sure you're actually keeping the money that you make in real estate and not having it all go out the door. And then I also wrote a book, Profit First for Real Estate Investing, uh, which is uh, the system to keep more money. If you're a real estate investor or interested in it, give you a good financial foundation. Probably weren't taught in school. A lot of this stuff that's just like, here's finance 101 to make sure you're not losing more than you're making. And then uh, if you want to set up a call with us, like I said, that's more if you're in the just entrepreneur space as a business owner, you've got a business, you want to grow and scale, but you want to make sure that you're doing it profitably and that you've got someone there that you can lean on for the financial side. So you don't have to worry about the bookkeeping, the CPA, the taxes side, and you've got an advocate there on your team. That's simplecfo.com can schedule a call and see if we're a good fit. So that's a one-stop shop. I think you guys will be a good fit. Um, but yeah, please uh, folks reach out to, to David and uh, tune into this podcast. We actually did a, a guest appearance there. A phenomenal conversation. Love that we talked about psychology here and uh, tips and tricks and mistakes that you should not make if you're investing in real estate. Um, and then obviously like, subscribe, send us feedback.